up guys it's jp from the chase down and i'm here with my co-host ben what's going on everybody and today big news has been made about the vaccine mandate in new york um relating to kyrie irving so we know throughout the entire season kyrie has really only been allowed to play in uh, away games he hasn't been able to play in the barclays center in brooklyn new york well, that just got lifted after a lot of criticism towards that rule. It didn't really make a lot of sense from the beginning, because um, especially because unvaccinated players on opposite teams were able to come into the Barclays Center and play. It just never really made sense. Um, well, that's no longer. Kyrie's cleared to play every game from here on out. Um, as we currently stand, the Brooklyn Nets are in the eighth seed in the East. They're in the play-in tournament. Um, what do you think it's going to do for this team to get Kyrie back full full time? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think first Kyrie should give a big thanks to the Yankees for forcing the mayor of New York's hand and letting Aaron Judge and uh, the other dude there play. Because without that, you know, the Yankees were going to be a bit more boring. And I think that was part of the reason. It's just performers and athletes that now yeah. get to to go to these stadiums unvaccinated. Right. Um, so, you know, good for Kyrie for being a full-time player again. I think it's going to take a while for him to get back into full-time mode. Uh, playing one game every week, you know, you get to use all of your energy for that game and you get a lot of time to rest. Um, there haven't been too many road stretches where Kyrie's actually played three, four games in a week. Um, so I think it's going to take a little while for him to ramp himself up back to game speed. But, I mean – obviously you're going to be getting more 40 point nights from him throughout the regular season. I have a little bit of reservations on him come playoff time, just because we've seen, uh, we saw it with the Celtics. Uh, you know, they saw some issues in Cleveland. The Celtics is what I want to harp on mostly just watching him suck against the bucks and then say, go on into a press conference and be like, you know what? It's not going to happen again. I'm not going six to 22 again. And then he goes six to 23. Um, I'm worried about those games come playoff time, but he's going to be putting up crazy numbers in the regular season. I'm not worried at all about him. We differ on that pretty hard. Um, the Celtics, he was clearly forcing his way out of the situation. Um, he never, like there was a, that 25 game stretch with the Celtics where it seemed like he was the perfect player for us. And then very quickly, it was obvious he didn't want to be in Boston. So I don't take anything Kyrie did in Boston seriously. I just think he was a horrible teammate and just a bad leader for that team. Um, but, I mean, in Cleveland, he was sensational as a playoff player. Like, just ridiculous performance after ridiculous performance. Obviously hitting one of the biggest shots in NBA history. Um, so, for them, for the Nets to get him back full time, I just I texted you last night. Like, it instantly makes them a title contender again, in my eyes. Um, if we look back two years to when we started the podcast, I had the Brooklyn Nets as the favorite, um, when it was just Kevin Durant and Kyrie, just because I think those two players are both unstoppable offensive players. There's nothing a defender can do to stop either one of them. So they're just going to have games where they both average 30 or series really, where they both average 35 points per game on great efficiency the entire way. That's just hard to beat. Um, I know you voiced some concerns about their like ancillary pieces. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how much it matters to me, man. When you have the second best player in the entire league 
and then one of the best offensive players in the entire league. I just feel like it makes them a legitimate title threat in the East. The thing that they're going to have to worry about uh, is their team defense because it's bad. It's like it's not average. It's below average. And I think it's hard to be a championship team with a below average defense. Seth Curry is going to get absolutely abused in the playoffs because uh, he's they're going to want him out there for every offensive possession. But he's going to for every three he takes, he's going to give one up. He's going to give up a bucket on the other end. They're going to be hunting that switch. Uh, constantly Kyrie me and you disagree on his defensive yeah. impact uh, when he was in Boston under the Brad Stevens system he was an average defender average to slightly above average point guard defender um, if you put him on anybody taller than 6-3 I think the odds that he get a, gets a stop is significantly lower we saw him doing some dumb like trying to check Tatum during the Nets Celtics game the other day and Tatum lit his ass up Almost every possession Kyrie was trying to check him. Tatum just shot right over him. Yeah, and when Kyrie was on the Celtics in the Bucks playoff series, he tried to check Giannis. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a it's an ego thing. It's a Kyrie thing. Uh, it's just what he does sometimes. But defensively, they're weak. KD is best as a help defender. Um, but he's, he's gonna like have an elite help defender, though. Absolutely, absolutely. But one elite help defender surrounded by scrubs is going to be tough. Um, Kyrie's good in a system of good defenders. If you leave him on an island with a good point guard, he's not going to do above average at stopping him. I don't think anyway. Uh, and then you got Seth Curry, you got Patty Mills, you got, you know, Claxton's got his issues. The eight man roster that they have probably has two or three good defenders on it. Yeah, I think maybe I'm a little bit higher on them just because they strike me as a team that doesn't give a shit about the regular season. Um, they just LeBron teams used to do this a lot, whereas they, they would have like a 25th ranked defense, but then once they go into the postseason, it's like a top five defense type of thing. Um, Who are the guys on Brooklyn that are going to be able to make that turnaround? You think? I think Andre Drummond is a underrated defender. I think because he's such a buffoon on offense, I think people just, think he's horrible at everything. And I actually wrote about this. I made a little blog post about this as someone who's truly awful at offense. He does have rewarding defensive attributes. Like he has quick hands. He's just a massive human being like 6'11, 280 pounds. Um, we saw when the Nets played Brook, uh, when the Nets played Philly, he did give Joel Embiid just a, a harder time than probably anyone else in the league could give Joel Embiid. Um, he's just a big body and teams need that to be good on defense sometimes. So it's really Kevin Durant, Andre Drummond. And then I'm just hoping Kyrie plays the way he did in Boston or against James Harden in that Philly game, because when he tries, he's a good point guard defender. I'm not saying he's switchable. I'm not saying he's versatile. No, he's, he's a good point guard defender. Not great, not bad. Good. I think that's enough to make their defense good enough to hold their teams to lower points than they're going to score because Kevin Durant, Seth Curry, Kyrie, Nick Claxton, whoever you want to throw in and then plus Andre Drummond, they're just going to light you up. So I think they're going to be able to string together stops with guys just trying harder because it's the regular season. And I don't think they're really trying. That's fair. There's definitely a little bit of a lack of effort just because there's been a little lack of team cohesion for the Nets this year. Um, and adding on to that, 
seems like Ben Simmons is not going to play at all regular season or postseason. Uh, he's got a herniated disc in his back. He dealt with that, first started dealing with that early 2020 with Philly. Uh, and he was out for a while. I think he was in and out of the lineup for a little bit. And then he just took a little bit of time off. That's not an injury that goes away. Correct. Um, that swelling is going to be there forever. You know, that's a thing that usually I think requires surgery. Um, and there's people that herniate discs in their back and then are never fully mobile again. Um, so that's a very serious injury and they're going to be as cautious as they possibly can with that, which means Ben Simmons is gonna, not going to be around. Um, and I think that hurts them pretty significantly. Yeah. Cause I mean, let go back to our, um, trade episode where we discussed the Ben Simmons to Brooklyn thing. I was ecstatic because you're right. This team does lack defense and then you can get a first team, all NBA defense guy on this team to distribute the ball to guys like KD and Kyrie. It's, it's literally a perfect fit on paper with him not being there. They, they are missing a lot. And you, you texted me this last night. Essentially they traded James Harden for Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. Just if that was the trade, that's one of the worst trades in NBA history. Um, Ben Simmons was a huge part of that trade, the cornerstone of that trade. And he's not even going to make contributions to this team. So, I mean, I think that gives the Nets a reason to be worried just because he had, in my eyes, such a big role to play coming into the postseason. Just defend Giannis, right? Defend Jason Tatum, uh, defend DeMar DeRozan. Like he was going to be taking the other team's best player every series and now who is it? James Johnson? KD? No, they're not. They're not going to make KD do it, but it should be KD. If they play the Celtics, I think KD's going to have to be the one to check Tatum. James Johnson's not going to be able to do anything. Bruce Brown, he's good. He's pretty solid, but he's not going to be able to do much. KD's the only one that makes those shots difficult. I think you're right in the aspect it should be KD. I seriously don't think they'll make him do it, though. Because they can't. Because yeah, they then he's can't. expending too much energy on defense. Exactly. So... so they're going to get lit up offensively or defensively. Right. James Johnson on an Island with Jason Tatum, it's going to be an issue. And it all comes back to kind of what I said, like, will they be able to score more points than the opposing team? And I think they have a good shot at doing that. I do. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's excellent analysis. Can they score more points than the other team scores? I mean, it's like, they're kind of like the Hornets. It's like the Hornets play zero defense. They'll score 142, but the opposition will score 140. Right. So it's just like, you just need, all they need is one more point than the other team and it counts as a W, right? Yes. And all they, you know, one average night from Kevin Durant and Kyrie at the same time, and there's no chance they win. You can say that about a lot of teams though. Yeah. You know, but the, other teams still have a chance. Joel Embiid needs to have an excellent night. Um, you know, on the Celtics, they're, they're playing a little better team ball, but still Tatum and Brown have to ball out to some right. extent. Um, but there isn't another thing that's going to be getting this team wins. If, if Kyrie has a four for 20 night, um, there isn't another thing that's going to, that they're, the Nets are going to be able to pull out to get a win. Can't you see the Seth Curry seven three-point game happening, though? Can't you see that, where he just scores 36 points for no reason at all one game? Right, yeah, yeah, and him, Patty Mills, could probably do the same thing. But, you know, the thing that I'm just going to keep saying is for every three, every bucket they hit, they're giving one up on the other end. Patty Mills and Seth Curry aren't stopping traffic cones. No, like, 
Patty Mills, not a good defender. He's he tries, but he's so small. Like I think he's actually five eleven. I don't think he's even breaking the six foot barrier. Yeah. Um, and if you got him, Kyrie, Seth Curry, and KD on the on the floor, not KD, but if you have those three small guys on the floor at the same time, offense is going to flourish. But again, defense is going to be awful. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We got we got different opinions on it. I want to say just because I sent the text to you, I want it to be known. If yeah. I'm a GM uh, and I'm looking to build a team to win a championship, I'm taking Jalen Brown over Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Kyrie is definitely a more talented player offensively. There's no question about that, uh, but he doesn't stay healthy enough and he's got too many head case issues and he doesn't play defense. I wasn't considering those things. I was just considering them as players in a vacuum. Kyrie's clearly the better player. I don't think it's close really. But right. if you add in the, oh, I'm going to take time off whenever I feel like it, I'm not going to get a vaccine and miss 60 games, then it's obvious who you choose. But if okay. you just say, who do I want in a single game to win me a game seven in a championship? If I we're teleported straight to the finals, I guess that's fair. Like if we go straight to the championship, what, what sort of players do you want to win you the game? Kyrie is one of those dudes. Yeah. 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 I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but I think they're going to struggle to make it there. I think, I mean, I just think the box, it's really the box. I, we talked about this last night. We'll, we'll do this a little bit right now just to get it over with. But in terms of contenders in the East, we did this a little bit last episode, but I don't think Philly has a shot in hell to make it. I really don't. Go check out Joel Embiid's clutch time stats this year. Um, And me and you talked about this a ton last postseason run. We would watch Joel Embiid dominate the first three quarters of a game and then disappear because he was so exhausted because of the offensive load he had to carry. Maybe that changes this year because he has James Harden. But let's just say that trend stays the same. I mean, it's just going to be hard to win because James Harden's one of those guys that I've talked about a hundred times on this podcast, it feels like in the last three weeks. He's one of the worst playoff performers in NBA history. So that's what I'm anticipating, another horrible playoff run from James Harden, and then Joel Embiid just having to do everything and then just using up all of his energy and struggling in the fourth quarter. And they're super short on depth. They don't really have a deep team. Like, they're relying on George Niang to hit big big shots for them. So they're out of the conversation for me. The Bulls out of the conversation. Cleveland out. Toronto out. It's the Bucs, the Celtics, the Nets. Those are the teams that I think. Not the Heat. You know, I don't know how I feel about the Heat anymore. I really don't. I'm with you. They're a tough team um, just because so much of their success this year has relied on Tyler Hero balling out at an above average efficiency, like considerably above average. Like he'll put up 20 points on like 11 shots sort of thing. Um, And he's not going to get that in the playoffs. You know, and Jimmy Butler can't shoot threes. He's actually shooting under 10% from the three-point line this year. Um, they got a lot of good pieces. They got good depth, but I've, I've never thought none of those guys are the best player in a line in a matchup. And I, we always think that that's huge. Yeah. Me and you are huge proponents of that. Um, and the heat, another thing that they just need to be dinged on is the amount of games each player has missed on their team. Like bam was gone for two months and then Jimmy Butler was gone for two months. And then Kyle Lowry was out for three weeks, got back and then went out another three weeks. It's like, we ding the Nets for this so hard. No one's even talking about it with Miami because they're still the number one seed in the East. But like, 
come playoff time, they, these players still don't have a ton of reps together. And like we were just talking about the best player in every series, like Tatum's better than Jimmy Butler, KD's better than Jimmy Butler and Giannis is better than Jimmy Butler. And I think their ancillary pieces, those three teams are better than the Heat's. Like the second, third best players are better than the Heat's second, third best players. So I mean, because they're getting production from guys like Gabe Vincent, who's an un, undrafted dude. Like he's been rock solid for them. But what can you really expect from a guy like that coming into the playoffs? It's impossible to know. I'm totally uh, with you. Totally, I'm with you. I actually, I'm. I think I just have Bucks, Celtics as the top two teams as the teams to beat. The Nets are right under them. I just their defense, man. I don't. I don't know. I got to see them, you know, hold a team to under 120 when the playoffs come. Um, and I think they're going to struggle to do that against either the Bucs or Celtics. I don't know what team wants to play the Celtics in the first round right now. I don't think – I was thinking about this earlier today. I don't think I've ever seen a team do what they're doing. The Celtics? Like I was, yeah, I, I was thinking, like, maybe, like, the 2018 Warriors or, like – I don't know. I have, I literally can't think of a, an example. I really, I'm struggling. Like maybe the, uh, the 73 and nine warriors where they were just literally bopping everybody. Uh, if to, I'm astounded by how horrible this team was and how like historically great this team's becoming. It's like yeah. weird shit. The team, it's so weird to think that the team that lost to Jalen Noel on the Timberwolves in December, the team that lost him the Knicks, that's the same team. Um, it's, it's weird to think that they went, they started the season 23 and 24. And now over the last 27 games, they're 23 and four. That's a 70 win pace. If they kept it up for a whole season, 23 and four over 27 games, they have been, I, I, you know, this is unprecedented hot streak from them and they're playing beautiful basketball. Yeah. The ball moving offensively has been perfect. The defensive switching has been perfect. Yep. Um, everything has just been excellent. The way Rob Williams is used as the help defender. Um, I don't know a team that could realistically say that they're comfortable facing the Celtics in any round of the playoffs. The way they're playing right now. Everyone's nervous. Yeah. Everyone's nervous to face them. It, it's just the consistency they're playing with right now. They're smashing the best teams in the NBA, smashing them by like, yeah. 20 points they're just destroying them there's no way the bucks are like oh we want to play them first no everyone's going to try to avoid the celtics i think usually we see at the end of the year teams like trying to drop down a few spots or rise up a few spots i think there's going to be some of that in the east where it's like we don't want to play the nets in the seven seed or eight seed and we don't want to play the celtics how do you feel about that strategy i hear a lot of like discussion about that strategy about picking your opponents and I saw Shaq talk the other day about that was something that Phil Jackson used to do. Um, and that, you know, I think it's a little bit controversial. Some people think, no, you just get them as many wins as you can. And you deal with who you deal with. Um, how do you feel about that? I'm torn a little bit because it's got to work. If you pick an opponent, you have to beat them. Right. We saw last year with the Bucks, they just didn't care that they were going to fight um, face Miami again after getting beat by them the year before they were like, who fucking cares? Send them, send them their, um, our way. We'll just deal with them. And they swept them. Like that's a sick mindset where you're like, we don't care who we face. We're going to beat them. But if there's a team like the Celtics where they're just red hot 
and they match up well with your team, like I would struggle being a head coach in front of the locker room and saying, guys, like we got this kind of like, I feel there would be a sense of doubt, I think. And you don't want that heading into the first round of the playoffs. So I don't know. I'd probably just win as many games and try to beat whoever, but a part of me understands why people drop or rise to avoid certain opponents. I definitely understand it. It is such a risky play because nobody is going to have any problem with you getting as many wins as you can possibly get. Right. Um, You know, if people, if like people find out that you're intentionally trying to pick your seed to pick an opponent, you have to beat them convincingly or else you're going to get flamed forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fucking Clippers last year, they purposely fell down to face the Mavericks again. And then they fell in an O2 hole and everyone's freaking out because I mean, they chose their opponent. They purposefully wanted to play the Mavs. They're very lucky. They got out of that series. Mm -hmm. um, Thanks to Kawhi. But I mean, if they lose that series, that's, that's just a laughing stock. You look ridiculous doing that. So right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There's certain teams that should definitely try that strategy. Like I'm thinking one, the one and two seed in the East, like knowing Brooklyn is there with a Kyrie that's good to go every game of the series. Some teams are going to try some funky stuff. Um, as of right now, it's the heat that's in the number one seed, but the number two seeds, the one you want to avoid, because it's almost a guarantee the Nets win the first play in game. So it's going to be a two, seven matchup. That would be Philly. A Philly Nets first round series would be insane. If the Raptors and uh, Nets play each other in the first round, they play each other in Canada and Kyrie cannot play. So if there's any chance that the Nets lose that game, that would be why. Um, There's still a little bit of time. The Brooklyn Nets are two wins back from Toronto. There's still a little bit of time for them to flip in the seven and eight seed, but I'm not, you know, a hundred percent confident if I'm Brooklyn going to Toronto to play them without Kyrie, obviously the Nets are going to be the favorites, uh, but the Raptors defense is stifling. Yeah. And we, we texted about this a little bit. You got OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, and Gary Trent Jr. All to take turns on Kevin Durant. And if Kevin Durant's the only superstar playing for the Nets, he's going to be exhausted. Yeah. I mean, it is Kevin Durant. He'll probably put up 40, points but on how many shots is and then the the extra pieces fred van fleet's an excellent point guard defender yeah um that's not an easy matchup for brooklyn and it's not like they have any other option really they're kind of stuck at either the seven or the eight seed so that matchup is almost guaranteed to happen exactly so that the brooklyn nets with Kyrie healthy this team's gonna look a lot different we've seen glimpses of it this season but with some consistency to that lineup i'm expecting some more wins to rack up for them. Yeah, yeah, probably. With Kyrie coming back and they got like, what, 12 games left? Yeah. They'll be getting some wins. So the next topic we have, the Phoenix Suns. We don't talk about them a lot on this podcast because they're so consistent and all they do is just win, win, win games. But they've been doing it without Chris Paul for quite some time now. Um, I think most people agree Chris Paul is still the best player on the Suns despite his old age. Um, he's averaging like 15 and 10, crazy assist to turnover ratio, just a great point guard defender, really just showing why he's one of the most valuable players in the league. The Suns have still been freaking dominating without him, but he's coming back tonight. And I think that's super, super helpful to this team to get some reps with him back on the lineup before the postseason starts. 
Yeah, they've been getting, I mean, you said it, a lot of wins without him. Um, it's pretty crazy how consistent they're able to play missing guys because uh, they got games where Booker's out. You know, they missed Jay Crowder for a handful. Cam Johnson's been out for a handful. campaign has been out for a handful. You look at this whole roster, they have not been healthier than average over the season. Yeah. Uh, but they still have no problem getting wins. I, you know, I just, I don't know how much it's Celtics homerism, but I would love to see Ime Udoka be the coach of the year. But with Monty Williams doing what he's doing, you can't do that. Like Monty Williams is clearly the number one. I think Ime getting second place votes is the recognition he deserves. I'm totally with you. Um, coach of the year usually isn't like a huge deal. I think Monty Williams deserved it last year over Tom Thibodeau. And I think he's the clear favorite for this year. I mean, they're going to win 60 games. Um, he's had Chris Paul injuries and they didn't miss a beat. I just think it, it's his award to lose. If he gets snubbed again, something's wrong. Definitely. And just as another thing, we, we don't talk about Devin Booker, or Chris Paul as real MVP uh, candidates. And that's why. You know, they're still, they are the best team in the NBA by a considerable margin, Um, but they're rock solid without either of those guys. They're both excellent players. They both bring a lot to their team, but they're not as impactful as guys like Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, those sorts of dudes. Because obviously we see it, their team keeps cruising no matter who's in or out of the lineup. And I just want to give, Devin Booker a shout out too because we we really don't talk about him much on this podcast we don't talk about any of the Phoenix Suns on this podcast other than really eight and and sometimes for not the best reasons um Devin Booker has turned himself into a defender um I'm not going to call him an elite defender I'm not going to do that just yet but I mean the effort he puts in is kind of astonishing considering he was just a shot chucker on a horrible team just a few years ago um once he figured out he had something to play for, he completely started trying on defense. You can go to basketball reference. I'm sure there's some numbers there that you can find that back up what I'm saying. And Rudy Gobert even gave him a compliment earlier in the year saying like the Phoenix Suns are the Phoenix Suns because they have guys like Devin Booker buying into playing defense. Like everyone on that roster cares about playing defense. He was complimenting the Suns. He was dissing the Jazz. But still, the compliment still means a lot. So you got Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Jay Crowder, all players that are willing to get down and dirty, play the hard stuff. I just, like I like I said last episode, I think this is the clear favorite to come out of the West. I don't think anyone's close. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. If Rudy Gobert played with guys who had the defensive attributes of the surrounding cast of Phoenix, the Jazz would be right where Phoenix is right now. 100%. If Donovan Mitchell had any of the kind of defensive capabilities that Devin Booker has, it would make a big difference, man. Uh, Royce O'Neal is the Jazz's best defender, and he's bad. Like he's average. He's not above average as a defender and he's their best. Um, I can't imagine the sort of frustration Rudy Gobert has got to have, but that is such a dig at the jazz, like <laughs> barely complimenting Devin Booker. That is mostly a dig at his own guts. Yeah. And I also, one of the big reasons I think the Suns lost in the finals last year is because DeAndre Ayton only had six fouls a game. And then once they went to the backup five, it dropped quick. The quality of defense of their team dropped so quickly once DeAndre Ayton came out of the game. They brought in JaVale McGee, who's a good shot blocker, plays with energy, has been on championship teams before. 
obviously he's not like a huge impact guy, but to have someone back there who's like good enough to sustain a defense, like just make it run, make it okay. I think that's actually a massive upgrade for them considering they were putting Frank Kaminsky in as backup five in the NBA finals against Giannis. It's a huge deal to me. I think it's going to really improve them. And then they just have depth up the wazoo too. So yeah, the Phoenix Suns with Chris Paul coming back, all I see is W's in their future. I agree. Um, DeAndre Ayton, enough can't be said about his defensive impact. Um, JaVale McGee's old as hell, but I mean, he can still bring something. He's such an athlete still too. He like is. he sprints up the floor at the age he is. I'm, I'm always impressed by that. He's a dude that's been memed on so much in his career, but go back and look up some career highlights for JaVale McGee. That dude gets up. His athleticism's nutty. Yep. Um, I will ask though, we had a, a brief conversation about it months ago. Okay. Um, how has this season affected your perception on DeAndre Ayton and whether or not he deserves the max? I'm still right where I am when I talked about it last time. I think so. You kind of talked me into it by the end of that episode. He does deserve the max. But by year three of that contract, it's going to look horrible because I really do think he's like an 18 points per game scorer for his career. I just, he doesn't want to shoot. He just doesn't want to do it. We saw that he had his career high last night. It was 35 points. It was a good game too. It was a great game. It was a great game. But he, I heard this stat that almost made me like jump out of my chair. He's made more post hooks than dunks this season. That's just weird to me. It's all finesse. Like yeah. he is a towering human being. He's seven foot tall, 260 pounds of pure muscle. Like there's not a freaking ounce of fat on this dude. And he doesn't want to dunk on people. He doesn't want to muscle up through people. He just doesn't feel like doing it. He wants to shoot the like 10 foot shot. He wants to do a hook shot or a fade. It's just weird, man. I, I don't love his offensive repertoire, his defense is worth the money. I said it on that last podcast. It's basically the equivalent of like paying Rudy Gobert the max because he's a great defensive big man and he matches up very well against Jokic. Jokic has talked about it. You've been on that for a long time. It's just true. He's he's kind of the best guy you can build to defend Jokic because he doesn't bite on any pump fake ever. So I'm still there. I still like by year three, that's going to be tough to swallow for whoever owns the Suns at that point. But I think as of right now, while you're in championship contention, you got to do it. Yeah, that's that's where I've been. I think that's totally fair. Um, me and you have complained about this so much because his offensive repertoire isn't bad. It's above average for centers. It's his assertiveness that is just like bottom level of the NBA. He just doesn't want to shoot. You, you said it. Um, he scored 35 the other day. Cause I think Booker was out. Chris Paul was out. They were, they were missing a handful of guys. Um, and they needed him to take shots, but I, you know, that's what he's going to be. If he's on this team all throughout his contract, he's not going to take a lot of shots unless everybody else is out and they need him to. And I wish that would change. Um, I don't know if I really believe it will anymore. I just, I know that he's got it in him. He could, you know, bang a dude, just hit a dude with the shoulder and then just post turn right to him and dunk right over him. He's huge and he's so strong. He can move guys out of the way so easily. The thing you said about the hook shots, it passes the eye test if you watch him. Yeah. Um, like he's just, he's not, he has no desire to just muscle people out of the way and destroy them. And he could if he wanted to. Absolutely. And 
it kind of reminds me of Anthony Davis. Like sometimes we're like, why the freak isn't Anthony Davis taking over this game right now? Except Anthony Davis still ends up averaging 28 points per game a season. <laughs> like, so even with Anthony Davis not being super aggressive, he just tears up the league with his scoring. DeAndre Ayton, that's not what it is. His points don't come super easily to him because he just, I don't, the assertiveness, it's just not there. I like his willingness to pass. I do think that's a positive. Sometimes I'd like to see him just like take over a smaller team, you know, like he's facing the Charlotte Hornets, just put up 40 and 20. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree. Uh, we hoped Chris Paul would instill that into him. And he's definitely more assertive than he was before Chris Paul came to the team. But it's just, you know, we'd, we'd love to see more. Yeah. And to be fair, he has shown the willingness to improve because he came into the league as a bad defender and now he's an elite defender. So if he just like takes the criticism for his offense and just says, you know what, I got to be more involved. I need to be a bit more physical on the offensive end. And he just puts that into his game. I think he could be an all-star caliber player. I agree. I think he could be 22 and 14, 24 and 15. He could, you know, he would just have to take that many shots. He has to want to be that. Yeah. So <laughs> he's just a weird player. I do really like him. I think he's important for the team. I understand why it's going to be uncomfortable to give him $40 million a year. Yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of swallow those last two years of bad contracts if it gets you a championship. hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Um, so now we're going to do a little Celtics. Um, we are from the Boston area. We, you guys know how much they hurt our feelings or help our feelings. You guys get the inside scoop. They're just on a tear. We alluded to it a little bit earlier. I mean, they are freaking dominating the league. Uh, they destroyed the jazz last night. And I mean, the, the difference between when the win streak started and right now is the level of competition. I was very hesitant to give them credit for beating horrible teams for 10 games straight. I just didn't see what other people were seeing because I was like, who wouldn't beat the magic by 15? Who wouldn't beat blank by blank? You know what I mean? Now they're just smashing the warriors, the jazz, like they're beating legitimate teams by 20, 20 plus. Um, what is your opinion on this team moving forward? How real are their championship chances? Like, are you buying into this team to make a run? Yes. I, I'm bought in. Um, I don't know. You know, I think the Bucks are the biggest question mark for the Celtics. Um, but I have loved the way that they have defended. I've, you know, the switchability is crazy. And then we've seen a couple of games where they pick a dude and they know they can't switch off him, And so they don't. Uh, they played the Jazz yesterday and Al Horford stuck to Rudy Gobert pretty much the entire game. And the rest of the team switched for the most part. And it was still flawless defense. Um, so I think they have you know, one of the best understandings of how they want their game to be played offensively, defensively, they, every game, they seem locked in. They don't make too many mistakes. They had 37 assists yesterday, um, which is absurd. You know, it, it's ridiculous, but across the board, I'm confident just because of the improvement in shooting numbers for the team. Peyton Pritchard has been on a stupid hot streak shooting threes over the last 10 games. He's shooting 50% from three over the last 15 games, um, which is nuts. I mean, Marcus Smart's shooting 42% from three over the last 15 games, 13 of which he played in. Um, Al Horford's shooting better. Everybody is starting to hit their shots because they're more open. 
because the ball movement's been better. It's not like they're the same level of contested that they were before. These are more open shots and they're hitting them. Um, I, I have no issue with this team top to bottom. The question is going to be when the playoffs start, can guys that are not named Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown still score? I'm, I'm with you. Honestly, I see it now. I see the path. I see the road where they can actually get to the finals. Now you have that seven foot monster in Milwaukee potentially blocking your way. Um, that's the series I'm scared for. Not, not really anything against the Celtics. It really is just my compliments to Giannis. I, yeah. I just think we're talking about a player that will be a top 10 player of all time, guaranteed, barring any catastrophic injury, right? Like I think at the end, we'll be arguing whether or not he's the best power forward of all time. Right. Like he could be right up there. Actually, ooh, Tim Duncan's crazy good. But I'm, I'm sticking with that, though. But he's going to be a, a top 10 player, basically a lock, right? Um, so that's just me paying my compliments to Giannis. It's really, I, I have no hate towards the Celtics. What they're doing is so similar to the Spurs. And it makes sense because Udoka was an assistant under Popovich for a decade. But it's just, they freaking know how to beat every single team. And it's through defense and it's through consistency. And the way they move the ball is so similar to the Spursian days where they had Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. Like the ball's just fizzing around now. I think Marcus Smart had nine assists in like the first quarter or some shit. Yeah. It's just the way they care about moving the ball is so different from what we saw at the beginning of the season and what we've seen in years past from this team. It's, it's really, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. And I don't, I, I don't see Philly beating them. I don't see the bulls beating them. The Cavs, no way. Toronto, no way. The, the heat, no way. Like it's really just the bucks or if the nets reach their pinnacle that are the only obstacles to the Celtics team. Yeah. The nets on a good scoring night from Katie and Kyrie would be a, a, like one of the hardest matchups there is for the Celtics. Um, we, they match up pretty well. I like it. That was a fun game. I would love a net Celtics series just cause it's, you know, it would be fun after the stomping that the Celtics had to receive last season. Yep. Um, to be able to get some revenge. And I think they'd come out with a fire lit under their ass. But, you know, I'm ready for any first-round matchup with the Celtics. Um, the thing that we're seeing that I love, the first start, the start of the season, Tatum's numbers were low. Jalen Brown's numbers were low. Al Horford's numbers were low. Everybody was shooting under their career averages. And now they're having, you know, six of nine three-point shooting nights, four of six three-point shooting nights. They're progressing. They're going back up to the averages. And it's fun as hell to watch. Yesterday, the starters shot 61% from the three-point line. Um, That's stupid, you know. And Tatum's been doing this for a month at this point. His numbers are now up to a little bit over 35% from three on the season. And it was 32.8, I think, a month ago. Um, So the rise is stupid. I I think those numbers are going to keep going up a little bit. I think the Celtics have a chance at that one seed. I think they do too. That wouldn't shock me at all. That wouldn't shock me at all. And I think honestly, I think Toronto is one of those teams the Celtics wouldn't love to face though. Nick Nurse, top five head coach, they play the same way the Celtics do. They really do. They just switch everything and they have a whole team of six foot nine guys. Um, Very similar to the Celtics. It's just the Celtics do it better than them. 
Um, that that would they they're going to win that series, the Celtics. But that would just I think that goes farther than they probably want their first series to go. Probably, I think that would be phenomenal uh, experience for those Raptors young guys. Hundred because Fred Van Fleet and Siakam are the only two who have really done it, who've really been in that. Um, and then they've got a whole bunch of extra pieces who play really, really well, but just don't have any of that sort of experience. Um, Precious Achua, I didn't think he was a basketball player. Genuinely, like I didn't think he had any chance of sticking around. His defense is phenomenal. And he's starting to hit threes. Um, him, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, they have so many lanky, really, really skilled defenders. Um, I think they would struggle in the playoffs more than they do in the regular season, obviously. Um, but, you know, the Celtics don't want to play the Raptors. Yeah, they're, the Raptors' lack of three-point shooting is going to be an issue in the play in the playoffs. Like, Fred Van Vliet's going to have to do what he did in 2019 in those later rounds. Like, he's just going to have to be a flamethrower. Scotty Barnes, he's going to have to learn how to stretch the floor. Siakam's been really good from three, like, the second half of the season, but I mean, yeah, I, I, that's, that's an interesting series, but. Here's what I want to say too. Yeah. Um, to add on top of this, the, who the Celtics could potentially be playing if they rise. Yeah. Uh, your Cavs are not guaranteed to stick in that 60. Yeah. They could fall into the play and they're only one win above Toronto right now. Um, I'm not sure how confident I am of them getting out of the play in if they have to face the Nets, because that's a nightmare. Um, I mean, I think if they play Charlotte and Atlanta, they beat them both. The defensive intensity has to be there, and we've seen some issues with that. But in a playing game, when it all really matters, I think it will be. Um, Celtics against Cavs, we used to be back and forth on this. I think the Celtics destroy them. No question. No objection from me right now. The Celtics, they figured it out completely. I think they struggle a little bit with the size of the Cavs, but not not to the point where the Cavs have a chance in the series. It's like, a low-scoring series. Right. And it's just going to be an annoyance, really. Um, the Celtics, Rob Williams is really the only guy who finishes great in the paint. I, James, uh, Jalen Brown, too, he, he's really good at driving the paint. But it's not like the Celtics are still reliant on jump shooting and three-point attempts. Um, that's why they struggled so much earlier in the season. They just weren't hitting their three-pointers. Um yeah, the Cavs. I'll do my little – if we're done on the Celtics, I'm going to do a little Cavs thing here. Do we have anything else yeah. to say on the Celtics? No, go for it. Just to wrap up the Celtics, we both think there's a chance they make that NBA Finals, correct? Yes. On What percentage chance do you give them coming out of the East? Um, I think outside of the Bucks, they're the second favorite. And I, I think that there's a real gap in between them and everybody else, in between the Bucks, Celtics, and everybody else. All right. I give them like a third percent chance. I, th- I think the Bucks are nasty. I think they actually have a leg up over the Nets just because of the consistency they've been playing with for two and a half months now. Um, but okay, that's good to get out there in the air. Time for the Cavs. Um, this team has been decimated by injuries. Um, it's good to see Garland and Mobley just playing out of their minds. It's just not leading to wins, though. They have to rely on guys like Karis LeVert, who I came on this podcast once the trade happened and said it, it was going to be Cheeks. It, it was Cheeks. Um, totally not worth it. The Pacers fleeced the Cavs. Um, the Cavs had a shot at getting Eric Gordon from the Rockets. They absolutely should have done that instead. 
it's it's been a pretty depressing few weeks as a Cavs uh, supporter. Um, it's it's really not like a lack of effort. They try their freaking asses off. It's just they they're hurt. It's I don't want to be that guy, but it really is the injuries. They they're fucked with injuries. Um, we saw we saw me and you watched this game together. Actually, the Cavs beat the Nuggets. Mobley went freaking berserk in OT. Like he finished the game. They're a good team still. This this team doesn't really stand a shot in the playoffs. I'm really excited for them to get playoff experience, though. I think that's going to be super valuable. Mobley in his first playoff series, obviously as a rookie, and Garland just becoming a ridiculously efficient point guard. Um, I think I think it's over the last month or so. He's averaging 25 and 13. I mean, that's just freaky, freaky stuff. That's like Trey Young stuff. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I still love the Cavs. I, I still think they're a good team. I think they're going to make things difficult for whoever they face if Jared Allen comes back healthy and looks good. Um, it is just a broken finger. So, like, his body should be in shape. It's just going to be how comfortable is he blocking shots and dunking the ball with a broken finger. That's going to be a tough thing. But, yeah, man. I, I'm, I just want to see them get some experience. If if they do face the Celtics, that'll be just a fucking ground stomping. Yeah. Yeah, it is really unfortunate. I was dead wrong about Karis LeVert <clears throat> because the thing with Karis LeVert, he'll figure it out for 15 games and he'll go on ridiculous stretches um, where he just scores 24 a game at ease over a short period of games. Um, that hasn't happened for Cleveland. He's had a couple above average nights, but, you know, a couple and that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And everything else is like four for 12, three for 10, two for 10, um, just bricks. He's shooting 31% from three this season for the Cavs. Um, his on off numbers, he's a negative for the team. Um, and that's everything that you predicted he was going to be. And I was dead wrong. I thought just the, the chemistry would have been too much for him to not succeed. And then a bunch of unfortunate injuries happened all at the same time. And they needed him to be more than he was capable of being. Um, on the plus side, Darius Garland is insane. He's amazing. Uh, I know people don't really outside of, you know, people that listen to this podcast and know about the Cavs. There's not a lot of people watching him right now. That's got to change. Uh, I think the Cavs are really going to start making a name for themselves over the next couple of years. And people are really going to start tuning in. Uh, but Darius Garland is a show to watch. He is so fun offensively. He is one of the best pick and roll players in the league. It, it's ridiculous the reads he makes and how efficient he is in the pick and roll. It helps having Mobley and Allen as your rollers. I mean, that's it's a perfect it, combo. It is. It's it is. It, you have an extremely good shooting shifty guard mixed with two big men who love to get to the paint and dominate. So I do want to do a perspective shift because. If we go back all the way to when the season began, when we did our over-under podcast for NBA win totals, the Cavs win total that was predicted by the NBA for odds was 27 and a half. We're at 41 right now. Like, it's it sucks because we're hurt and, like, it, we don't stand a chance in the playoffs, but this is far greater than anyone ever could have expected i texted you in the offseason i was like Cavs are a playing team book it they're the freaking sixth seed in the playoffs like this even they ex like over exceeded my expectations and i thought i was super high on them coming into the season 
I'm extremely happy with how this season went. The the growth from the players, it's been a joy to watch. But like you said, like if they match up in the against Brooklyn Nets in the play-in, they definitely lose that game. Unfortunately, I just it would take a Darius Garland show to win that game. And then honestly, like with the Hawks, I know you have very little respect for the Hawks. I'm still holding on to something I saw last year, I think. Did you see him get 30 pieced by Detroit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But like I really do believe like the Cavs Hawks is just a coin flip game because Trey Young can just do whatever he wants and get whatever calls he wants. And he could drop 41 and 15 and just end the game by himself. So yeah, I, I'd be lying to say if I was nervous, if I wasn't nervous, I think the Cavs have to be genuinely concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trey Young has kind of sunned uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers over this regular season so far. Um, and that's definitely something to be worried about. You're, you're right though. Perspective wise, the Cleveland Cavaliers have had an excellent season it's so unfortunate that things started to fall apart for them at the time that they did. Um, but I, I think that shows kind of the difference between a team that's legit and ready for a deep playoff run and a team that isn't. Um, a lot of these teams took a little bit to figure it out. Milwaukee took a pretty slow start. Um, you know, the Celtics, we talked about their slow start. And now that the season's wrapping up, now that the playoffs are coming, these teams are putting shit together. Um, and Cleveland's kind of the opposite. I think they're just a bit young and inexperienced. This team, the more experience they get, it wouldn't surprise me if they're right at the same seed or even higher next season. I'm right there with you because I'm expecting a jump from Mobley. I'm expecting continued success from Darius Garland. I think Jared Allen's kind of already at his peak. Um, Probably. Just give Talk you about Mobley, though, real quick. Um, yeah. He started off really hot. Um, he's very clearly me and you think the rookie of the year. Um, I think he's hit a bit of a wall. He, you know, he's done well recently, but there was about a month where he was putting up like 13 a game, 13 and seven, somewhere around those numbers. Um, me and you still think rookie of the year is very clearly Evan Mobley's the best. And I think Scotty Barnes is probably number two. Is that how you still feel? Yeah. We, we talked about it when we saw each other in person a few days ago. Um, Evan Mobley, since Jared Allen's been out, has been ridiculously good. Um, he had an off game the last two games, once against Detroit and once against L.A., but the Denver game was like, I'm an NBA superstar. Um, he closed out the game by himself. He had a 30-point game against the Clippers. Um, he's averaging 22 and 13 since Jared Allen's been hurt, but there was like, you're right, there was a two-week stretch there where it kind of just looked like he was tired or like he wasn't ready to do any scoring there's this one game where he had single digit points and I was just like what is going on um yeah against Philly it was the Philly game he had seven points and it was so obvious to me that he had hit kind of like a wall um once Jared Allen went out though the coach I guess I follow the Cavs pretty closely obviously JB Bickerstaff pulled him aside and was like now that Jared Allen's gone down like you need to score you need to shoot we're not letting you not shoot um, this is if like we lose games, it's on you if you don't shoot. And it seems like Mobley took that personally and he's been playing really well. So, but absolutely. Scotty Barnes is, I love Scotty Barnes, man. Like we could do a whole podcast on Scotty Barnes. I bet like, I think our next episode should be a rookie recap because you know, we're watching all of these guys. I have a lot to say on pretty much every pick that has played significant minutes. 
Um, and I think you do too, but Scotty Barnes, I don't think gets enough credit. I he think doesn't. there's people who put Cade Cunningham above him for a rookie of the year race and it's undeserved. Unri- it's ridiculous. It is. Cade has the ball in his hands more, but still Scotty's putting up, you know, similar numbers, better advanced stats, certainly. And the defense that he brings, he was hounding Jokic the game they played uh, against Denver. He was hounding LeBron the game they played against LA. He just does not let up on the defensive end. Yeah, he has no fear. He is uber confident. And there are games where he just puts up ridiculous stats line, uh, stat lines. He had like a 30, 15, and 6 not too long ago. It's like, I don't know how, how many NBA players are doing that, right? right. Like there's, an, there's an elite group of players that can do something like that. And as a rookie, he has these games where it's like, holy shit. He scored over 20 points, 20 or more points, 17 times this season. Yeah. And he's not the number one option. Um, right. he, does, he does so many things so, so well. And he doesn't get into foul trouble. He hasn't fouled out of a game this season. He's come close a handful of times. Um, all around, you know, he's definitely the second place rookie of the year. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, like – both both the rookie of the year favorites are not the first options on their team it kind of makes you think like what if Mobley just got drafted to Detroit where he could just try to score every single possession down the floor or what if Scotty Barnes got drafted to Detroit where he could do what Kate Cunningham's doing where he has the ball in his hand every single play like these guys are going to develop so well because they have the time to grow but they're also super important as rookies like both of these guys are going to be so good and I mean you're absolutely right. We should do a rookie recap next episode. Yeah, I agree. Um, is there any teams we had left to talk about? I think we're okay. Mm, Let's yeah. just real quick. Chicago, absolutely mm. a fraudulent team. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate. I hate that I have to say it. I've been a Chicago fan since Sackleveen's been on the team, basically. I have been dying for them to get a player that can facilitate in the fourth quarter. And they went and got DeMar, and it's looked awesome. Um, against the top three seeds in the East and West this season, they are 0 and 16. They are the worst. They have the worst record in the NBA against the top three seeds in each conference this season. That's not a fluke. It's not an accident. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And they're, they're absolutely a fraud. That's why I was saying for so long, like Cleveland's Cleveland's going to beat them if they face each other. Like I just knew I was like, there's, this is not a real team. Um, Another thing that like I feel like isn't really being talked about is Lonzo Ball's still not back, and we are running out of season. Like we're running out of runway for him to get himself right and playoff ready, and he's just not back. And me and you both know how important he was to that team at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I think that's something that needs to be talked about more. People just haven't mentioned Lonzo since he got hurt. Um, I think it's clear he's one of the big reasons why the Bulls have been struggling for so long. Since post-All-Star break, they've been awful. Yeah, I mean, if you put him and Alex Caruso back out on the floor, they would have at least one win against those teams. You're right. Um, You know, those teams have been unhealthy. They've had health issues of their own, and they've had no problem dealing with the Bulls. Um, But Lonzo is huge. Lonzo is so impactful. Uh, Me and you both know that. I think he's pretty criminally underrated throughout the league. but, you know, you know, yeah, knee surgery in January, and he's still not back. That's, it's concerning. 
it's definitely concerning. I don't know if it matters this season because I think they're a first round buy regardless. Um, but, you know, I'm just a little bit worried about his health for the long term. Yeah, he's always been an injury um, plagued player, unfortunately. You can go back to his rookie year in L.A. Um, it's just one of those things that follows Lonzo around. But his importance to that team is pretty notable because they had a top 10 defense for a long time. And it was because they had Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball at the point of attack on defense. And they were just hounding opposing guards and no one could get into the paint because they stopped them at the perimeter. That's no longer a thing. And Vucevic is getting cooked every single night. And this was why I thought they were going to have troubles in the playoffs um, because Vucevic is just not a good defender. And when your back line is led by someone who's a below average defender at the center spot, it's just going to be tough to keep teams from scoring 100 points. So, yeah, man, the Bulls, the poor Bulls, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think they're pretty fraudulent. They are, and there really is no saving them. This is the team as it's constructed. Like, Io will get a little bit better. Kobe White might get a little bit better. Who knows with Kobe White anymore? Um, but there's not a lot of, like, huge improvement going on with this team. Next year, they're going to run it back. Yep, and um, Patrick Williams just came back. That is Bulls, good news. But he's been out all year. I think it's unfair of us to expect, like, a big impact from him after not playing 70 games or something. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think this isn't their year. I think they're going to be competitive again. I think they're going to be competitive this year and next year, but I don't know. They need one more step to become a championship contender. Maybe if they can get a healthy off season and work together a little bit more, they'll come back even stronger next season. I'm still high as hell on Patrick Williams. I'm going to stay on that Hill, you know, forever. I think his def- defensive potential is limitless. <clears throat> I like him a lot. The injuries scare me a little. Yeah. I think he's like, we saw Jalen Brown in him. Both of us. We both saw that comparison. When we were watching him, we were like, he does have a little bit of Jalen Brown in him. But the consistency on the court just really hasn't been there. But yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge, huge worry. Before we go, I'm going to ask you a quick question. And we'll try to make it quick because I know we have some stuff to do. Chet Holmgren. Do you think his body type is an issue? Yes or no? no? Not at all. Um, I, he'll grow into it eventually, but he is a unicorn. I mean, it'll be, you know, similar to the way that Mobley had some setbacks, had some difficulty because of his size. He can't post guys up. He's got to rely on a different kind of offense. Uh, I think we're going to see the same thing from Chet. But no, I don't think it'll hinder him as much as people think it will. <clears throat> What's funny is the Mobley comparison is going to be made a lot because they're both skinny and they both play really good defense. Chet is like legitimately 25 pounds lighter than Mobley. Like he is one of the weirder body types that will ever come into the NBA. I'm also pretty not worried about it. Um, I just think he's, he's such a weird talent. I think he's just going to probably figure it out, but The thing that Mobley did that I think Chet will do is as soon as he gets drafted to a team, he's going to eat. Mobley put on like, what was it, like eight pounds of muscle or something stupid um, immediately after getting drafted to Cleveland. Like in between college and preseason, he had bulked up eight pounds of muscle. Yeah, Um, Something similar is going to happen with Chet. It'll be four years into the league at least before he's got a like normal-ish NBA body. I don't know if he ever has a normal body. 
but I just think he's such a unique player. I'm not sure he needs one type of thing. Right. Like, like Mobley's different because he has wide shoulders. So at least he can fill out. Like Mobley, we've already seen it. He has lean muscle all over his body now. With Chet, like I really do think he might look like this his entire NBA career. I just don't, I'm not sure it matters. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant, same sort of deal. He was skinny his whole career. People tried to bulk him up his whole career. Um, and he's got muscle. Yeah. But, you know, he's not somebody that you look at as this gigantic muscle freak, like the sort of transformation that Giannis made. Um, <laughs> right. I don't think Chet needs to do any of that. No. But it'll, like, it, it'll hurt him a little bit. Um, being able to be pushed around by guys like Marcus Smart if they try to guard him. <laughs> what we saw from Evan Mobley in the summer league where he really struggled and was just getting pushed around by guys that were accountants, that's why he t- called up the Cavs and was like, send a trainer to California so I can beef up before the season. I'm not sure if Chet can even put on the weight, but what Chet has that Mobley doesn't really has is like shooting. like yeah, Mo- and perimeter Chet- dribbling skills. Well, Mobley has those, but like not pull up. Not fluid. as fluid as the way that Chet can do them, but definitely. Uh, Mobley's, Mobley's respectable as a dribbler, but I think just the offense is a, so much more fluid from Chet. They're just different players. They yeah. play so – that's why I'm – it's going to drive me crazy, crazy hearing that comparison all draft process. That plays like a forward. Yes, or a guard even. Like yeah. Mobley plays like a big man, but he has guard skills. They're completely two different things. But Yes. Um. Yeah. Interesting. I'm super this. We'll get into the draft a little bit later in the year. I know me and Ben are going to start doing our research, um, but I think usually we start the draft stuff after the playoffs. Maybe we'll start a little bit earlier. I'm not sure. Actually, no, we started it a bit earlier last year. Yeah, I think I don't know. Um, Anybody who's interested, the ringer just put out their mock draft for 2022. It's early. There's still a little bit left of March Madness, and that always makes a difference. Yeah. Um, but it's worth checking out and it's how I'm starting my homework. I've already got a little bit down of some of these guys, but in a week or two, we'll, we'll both have some pretty solid ideas of who we want coming out of this draft. Another really quick question. Is there a guy you're just excited about coming into the 2022 draft? I'm really interested in Jabari Smith. I don't know how I feel about him yet. He had a stinker of a game, uh, in March madness but I'm really interested in his shot-making ability. And my guy is Jeremy Shochan. Sochan? Yeah. Um, oh, if we're going, like, out there. No, um, no, just like anybody. I'm going to say Nikola Jovic. You, you, you and the foreign, foreign guys. He was, he was projected to be, like, a top eight guy before yeah. the season started, and then some college guys put their name in. But Nikola Jovic, coming from Serbia. Um, he's got the name for it. Him and Jokic can be buddies. Yeah, he he his backstory really quick. He was a guard and then he sprouted up to like six foot nine. So he's kind of like this ball handling forward. My guy, Jeremy Sochan, he's just a pest. Like he's basically six foot nine, 250 pound Pat Beverly. And I just I, I'm super excited. He's kind of got the Dennis Rodman thing going on with the bleached buzz cut. He's just intriguing and he won you some money which is also really funny. Yes, he did. Um, in the, the ba- Baylor comeback. <laughs> the Baylor comeback against NC to get it to overtime made Ben some money. So he's just a guy I really have enjoyed doing some draft stuff on. So, all right, I think that's going to wrap everything up. Thank you guys for listening. Ben, do you have anything else to say before we head on out of here? Uh, no, I got nothing. Thanks, everybody. Peace out.